All right, what's up, y'all? This is Bootstrapping SaaS to Millions. We are your hosts, Mike and Kevin Wagstaff, founders of Spectora. We share stories and lessons learned, bootstrapping a company from zero to an eight-figure valuation. What up, Kev? What's up, man? How's it going? Good, good. Today, I want to dive in. I want to go deep. Let's go I deep. Want to, um, I want to talk life philosophies. So I want to talk about how we... Like what? What is our operating systems for decision making? I think too often, aspiring founders or or founders put way too much focus on like tactics on what. Tell me what to do. What are the? What's the blueprint for success? What do I need to do? I think podcasts, even like this one, get to this habit of being very like, oh well, you do this and then you're going to be rich, and you know, some of that is super helpful. Some of it, I think overall more of it is more bullshit. I think you need to refine how you think, because if you have a good, like operating system for making decisions, then everything else falls into place. You'll figure out the tactics, you'll figure out the strategies that work for your business. And you won't need to listen to people like us telling you the to do's. So hopefully I'm not putting us out of work here. Yeah, but, you, um, <laughs> you get swayed but, less. You just get swayed less by all the distractions of life. Yeah. You know, and when we talk a lot about making these intuitive decisions or kind of gut decisions, I think a lot of it is kind of the aggregate wisdom that you have of thinking deeply about things, of seeing situations come up and how you respond to them, how you'd like to respond to them. And that's what formulates kind of your framework for decision making. And so, um, so we each have given it some thought. I've jotted down like five things that I think kind of define my mentality, how I think I've historically made decisions when I kind of reflected back on my adult life. Um, and so, yeah, maybe we can do one each, go back and forth and just see where it goes. Sure. Sounds good. I, I, it's funny, like life philosophies for me felt too heavy because I'm just not like as deep or philosophical. So then I just like corrected it to like ways I think about things and that made it feel more <laughs> approachable to me for my, for mine. So, yeah. Hey, I love it. Same thing. I think just different, different words. Mine's more pinky out, sipping a, <laughs> sipping a wine glass. <laughs> All right. You want to kick one off? What's your first? Uh, you know, it's the one that's top of mind. So I, I, I broke things down into five, into five categories, health, money, work, friends, and family. And so like for health, health is one that's been on both of our minds a lot as we're aging and getting older bodies starting to hurt more. So I guess it's an, it's not, it's not fancy. It's, it's really obvious, but consistency is the win when it comes to like physical fitness and health is something that I've kind of a theme that I've repeated to myself when I'm like, Oh, I'll just go down, like going downstairs and doing five minutes of whatever. It seems like it doesn't do anything. I'm learning it does something. And so injury prevention, just getting the blood flowing, I used to never go to the gym unless it was like an hour and a half of like hardcore everything, you know? And so like to have a new mentality of just show up every day and do something. I know this resonates with you a lot with, and you're probably the king of consistency and, and discipline, but just sweating every day or even a couple of times a week in some way, whatever you do, get to doing something that that's a principle and something that I'm not even great at it yet, but I know I'm, I'm working towards show up every day to move your body period. I love that. Yeah. Doing something every day. I think it does something for the mind. It does something for your self-perception and man, it's so um, present in our lives right now. Cause our dad is going through a health issue and that kind of has made us reflect on like mortality, finiteness, like these things of like, Oh yeah, all the self-care that we do now might be making an impact in 25 years. And, um, I like that you listed as first thing. Cause like, like kind of what we've seen time and again, like no matter what you have, you could be rich, you could be famous. If you don't have your health, if you're hurting every day, none of that matters. You're unhappy. You're probably yeah. happy. Here's and a funny I, way to think about it. We, people walk their dogs every day because they'll say, Oh, it helps them burn off energy or they, you know, they're more, they're less restless or they fight less with each other. If you have two dogs, but like, why would that not apply to humans? Like, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And so much so that I, I think like for me, it's the first thing I do every day. I get up, I work out before I have breakfast, before I have coffee, before I look at my phone, it just has to be prioritized. And I think, you know, your priorities are in my mind, what happened before your kids wake up? Like what, what can you do before anything else intrudes on your day? Before you look at how many red 
notification bubbles you have to attend to. And so I love that that's your first one. I think it's, um, it's underrated, especially in startup world where everybody thinks you got to quote hustle and grind. And that's like the thing that will get you all your successes. I think you got to refine the tool that is your body, your mind. That's what's going to help you more than putting in that extra hour of work. Yep. Cool. I like it. I like how you're organizing yours. Mine are a little different. Mine are just kind of thematic. Yeah. Um, All right. So my first thing that I put was um, basically minimizing regret. Like, how do you make life as interesting as possible? I feel like I've gotten to so many forks in the road where there was a safe path. It was boring, but it was safe. And then there was a path that was like the unknown, a lot of question marks, a lot of maybe difficulty. And I've always tried to say, hey, what what's going to make life more interesting? What's going to be an awesome story when I'm like 80 years old and just telling people about my life. And, um, and that to me has made so much of the difference. I think I'm basically paraphrasing a Robert Frost poem right now of the fork in the road and taking the harder <laughs> path. Made all different. Um, you know, and I think, I mean, this is shown up for me in a couple of places. Like um, when I got laid off from my first job, startup ran out of funding, you know, I could have gone and gotten another job that paid really well, but I was like, huh, maybe this is a good opportunity to like start a business. That was something I had always wanted to do. I was 26. I felt like there's very little risk. I have very little obligation. Why not? And that's when I started um, an adventure tourism business. And I was just taking kids, hiking, camping, and surfing. And it was pretty awesome. I didn't make a lot of money for the next couple of years, but I learned a lot of skills that helped me in different chapters in life. Um, gosh, there was times where I was like, ah, if I just wanted to live abroad, and if I felt like there was no reason to stop me, like when I was 30, I just sold all my possessions, volunteered on a farm in France, dug trenches and cut down trees for several months. And I got to kind of check that off my list and feel like, damn, that was really interesting. That's something that most people don't get the chance to do. And um, I don't know, to me, that just like kind of lends itself to business when we talk about like, well, why not go after that opportunity? Why not think bigger? Why not try and become a billion dollar company. Like it, you have to have some of this, I think, rooted in your mindset to be an entrepreneur because most people will take that safer path. And so I would say to the aspiring entrepreneurs out there, if you're early on, kind of start thinking about when can you take those less safe, but maybe more interesting uh, forks in the road. What, what turned to make you wired to be that way? Because probably after high school, I, I'm guessing you weren't wired that way or like right middle school, high school. Talk about what was transformative and making, like allowing you to take the left hand path or whatever, the, you know, the fork in the road that goes left. I think it started when, when I was 14, you were 11, dad came home was like, guys, we're moving to Panama. We're leaving our white middle-class suburb and we're going to go live in this foreign country. And um, I remember it feeling like so scary. I cried a lot. I thought I was going to miss my like two friends that I had. And, um, and yet we went down there and it was so cool. I think it brought me out of my shell. I discovered my athleticism. I discovered that I could be social and make new friends. Um, it showed us different cultures, different ways of life. And that showed me that like, wow, yeah, there was like a risky decision mostly on our dad's part, but like by kind of forcing it and just walking that harder path, I personally gained so much. And so, um, you know, that wasn't like the definitive thing. There was like, you know, cause then I still went to school for, you know, college and like a safe kind of in the same state uh, university, but it led me to maybe study abroad and then get a job at the international office and then say, Hey, I'm just going to move to Hawaii after college somewhere far away where I knew exactly one person and just kind of try to build a life and see what happened. And so, I don't know. So it's kind of cool that um, our parents kind of forced that first step. And then that kind of, um, yeah, gave me some of that confidence to be like, okay, let me just keep taking those like scarier things. Uh, but I don't know. It's a good question. It's always hard to pinpoint. Yeah. Moral of the story, choose adventure. Um, where res- humans are resilient, no matter where, what background or, privilege you come from. I think people are resilient and can figure things out. Love it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, What's your number two? Um, another one in the health category, more around diet. Um, Allie and I had worked with like a nutritionist, like an anticipation for getting pregnant and one huge takeaway or, or I guess theory I subscribe to now is that 
the world always wants to give you definitive advice, like eat eggs, don't eat eggs. And after doing like food allergy tests, food sensitivity tests, uh, blood work, you come to realize everyone has a different background and lineage, which dictates what they're sensitive to. And so it's obvious, but then, you know, once you see it in tests of like, oh, I handle like soy and pasta better than Ali does. And just realizing that like, oh, all that blanket advice is kind of bullshit because they're just trying to cover the masses and it has to be that if it's in a magazine, it's got to be for everybody. So like my general rules have just been like, well, green stuff's pretty good for everybody from what the, you know, nutritionist says, like hard to go wrong with like vegetables and salads, but then things like pasta, eggs, chicken, whatever, name your thing. It might just depend on your personal, like how your body is made and where you come from. And so listening to your body is probably like the big moral of the story instead of other people or advice is paying attention and being aware every day of what you're consuming. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of simple takeaway there. I love that. I feel like that's a place I need to, to work a little bit more on is like understanding my own dietary needs. You know, generally it's, um, yeah, I think like moderation has always been my approach to diet, but that's a blurry line sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sugar is my weak point. It's like, I still don't, I still probably eat too much sugar, but I'm finding health, you know, better ways to get it. You know, it's not like I'm just eating Skittles or whatever, but, um, yeah. So I'm a year into replacing sugar with stevia, like everywhere I can. Mm-hmm. And now my taste buds are very acclimated to like stevia where it tastes awesome to me, like coffee without stevia is, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, sugar tastes a little better, but yeah. as a substitute goes, it's not too bad. Hopefully we don't find out stevia gives you cancer in like 20 years, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So when you, so what, like, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? I had gluten-free oatmeal with raisins, cashews, collagen, ghee, and honey. And I eat that every single, I've I've eaten that every single morning for the last three months, like every, like without fail. And I started to like it actually, once I started tinkering kind of like you did, you know, a, you know, a year ago or so with oatmeal and, and I don't crave eggs and hash browns and bacon as much. you know, and it just takes one less decision away. So we'll see if that changes. I think I'm, I'm in the elimination phase of working with this nutritionist, like three months of cut out all these things that your food sensitivities say you're sensitive to, and then reintroduce uh, yeah. with an, with an eye on it, like one by one. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm playing along, you know, Ali wanted to do it. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess like this, you know, I didn't want to spend the money on it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, cut out gluten and dairy. And so just trying that whole, that whole route, but I, man, I do miss me some like egg hash brown bacon breakfasts with some toast or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I miss it. Hey, I love it though. You're using like the scientific method to figure out what works for your body, kind of noticing the effects over time and then being open and changing it up. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I was on the oatmeal thing for like a solid year. I think I had a overnight oats like every morning. <laughs> now I'm back on to like eggs and a smoothie after my workout, which, uh, yeah, we'll see. What do you put in the smoothie? Um, just pretty much either whey protein and some fruit, like some frozen fruit from like a Costco bag of mixed, you know, mixed fruit, just different kinds. And um, usually like a non-dairy milk substitute, like cashew milk or coconut milk. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes if that feels like too much work, I might just throw a scoop of whey protein in my coffee um, foam whisker. Mm-hmm. And so I can have coffee with the protein in it. <laughs> you know, it's like a way to get that protein in, in the morning. Yeah. Uh, even if I'm doing like a lighter breakfast or something. Cool. Right on. All right. So my number two kind of life operating philosophy, and this is something that I'm still working on. I've always had a struggle with being in the chapter that I'm in. So when I was in college, like I changed majors, like every semester, basically, I just <laughs> wanted to be everything right. I didn't want any aspect of this existence to go unexplored. I wanted to have like multiple lives. I wanted to be so many things. And, um, and it, it was present all throughout my twenties where the grass was always green around the other side. And I couldn't like stay focused. I couldn't just do one thing because I want to do it all at the same time. And even what mid thirties, when we started this company, I was, um, a counselor, 
I was doing some like freelance design and development. I was, you know, trying to get this thing off the ground. Um, there was, yeah, I've always done like a lot of things. And so a big thing that I'm, I've been working on these last five years is to just be in the chapter that I'm in, fully commit to it and know that the hard work that I put into the current chapter is what will enable a lot more options in the next chapter. And so, um, you know, that can apply day to day, minute to minute, even of just like, yeah, we all have dozens of things to do for any given day or hour by thinking about them all at once, you end up getting nothing done. So by knocking, like focusing on the one thing, like that to me is the key to productivity. We talked about before we hit record, right. Where we have so many things on the business front that are weighing on us. And how can we flex that mental muscle of just being very present right now to making this podcast, doing it as as well as we can. And then when we hit stop, we move on to that next thing that's top of the priority stack and do that really, really well. And so, yeah, it applies to the micro as much as the macro. It's presence, it's focus, it's discipline. It's all those things that, you know, everybody talks about. Um, but yeah, I just kind of, yeah, like to sum it up for me is like being, being the chapter I'm in. Love it. Being present. It's a simple phrase, hard to do. Uh, I'd liken it to investing, which is my next, you know, part of my next one of the gains that compound just from being the long-term investor. And so it's like, you're a long-term investor in your relationships, your kids, your business that you're in, you know, whereas sometimes on Twitter, I see guys where I'm like, they're trading every day, the stock or the business that they're in. And one of them, you know, some of them are starting business after business after business, and they're playing the volume game, which is, you know, that could work out too. There's times where that works out. One of them pops and that becomes your thing. Just a different approach. Um, you know, I look at it as blue chip, you know, mutual fund ETF investing, you maximize your chance for gains. Yeah. And it, I think it speaks to the mentality of the world. Now people want easy wins. They want shortcuts. It's a kind of old school to just put in consistent work over time. And that's, um, yeah, maybe we're old school like that. Now, so speaking of that, a couple money, um, you know, just the ways I did it. So it's, it's not right or wrong. I think I, I come from a finance background as a finance major. I kind of learned the, from the school. One of my um, professors was big Warren Buffett, you know, Charlie Munger guy. So we had to read all those books. So basically a couple, this is more prescriptive than, than philosophies, but it's like start a Roth early, as early as you can fully fund it do your 401k fully fund it. It's boring. <laughs> it's the basic mm -hmm. advice. Um, I think I ate chicken and rice for a couple of years just to save enough to buy, you know, the first condo or townhouse, um, you know, cause you can eat fairly healthy. That's, you know, it's all, it's what bodybuilders eat chicken and rice. So it's like, just eat that. And then, uh, and then invest for the long term. get, get into the boring stuff, give yourself maybe a little bit to trade, but especially in this, uh, kind of era of, um, you know, GameStop and AMC and crypto. It, it's very, it's getting increasingly harder to say, and I just did this uh, about a month ago of just waving the white flag and saying like, I don't want to trade. I don't want to live that life. So I just put it in a boring ETFs and I'm just going to let it ride for the next 30 years. Yeah. Cause you've done, you've definitely been into the kind of day trading at times in your life or like putting a lot into one company. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I, I was on the financial advisor floor at Charles Schwab right out of college, um, you know, learning, learning the markets and how to help people invest. And so it's, of course, the people that know the most think they have an edge. And that's like the trap is that you're in finance, you know more, you're just staring at it more. That's the difference is you're staring at the charts more. So I started trading options, um, you know, a couple grand a day up or down, like on Google and Amazon very volatile, you know, around earnings too, when they would go like a hundred dollars one way or another. So it's like complete roulette table. Um, you know, and I thought I was cool. I thought I was going to make a bunch of money. I thought I was going to flip, you know, my 10 grand in savings to a million dollars, ended up losing it, you know, then I'd make more money than I'd lose it again. And so it started to get to a point where you're like, fuck, I'm, I'm kind of a degenerate here. This is not healthy. <laughs> and, uh, and so you go through that enough times to realize, wow, I'm the sucker on the other end of these trades. And then it hit a point probably a, year, a couple of years ago where I did more research on what the big funds do, what the hedge funds do, why, why they can make so much money off suckers like me. <clears throat> and 
And it just comes down to like their bankroll. They have the capital to sell the options that I was buying. So really just realizing that it was a sucker's game at the end of the day and, you know, read atomic habits and, and things like that, that just let you know, like, what are your habits? You are what your habits are. And so then I changed, changed my thinking to saying, you know what, this is too stressful for one. There was nights I didn't sleep because you, you're thinking about the market's going to do as soon as you wake up. So yeah. good luck getting a good night's sleep. So yeah. it, there's so many other ways to make so much more money. And it's typically creating a startup. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's in my mind, my, my risk is concentrated in our company. That's where I feel like I'm saying, all right, this is a very unknown outcome, but I feel like I have the most control over it. You buy a bunch of stock in some random company and you don't have any control over that. And so, yeah, I've always been a very boring investor, total world market index fund that, you know, I throw all my money in that. I get a big lump sum. I just throw it right in that. And, um, I'm really happy with the results. I think I've averaged like 12% since I was in my early twenties, like annual gains. And it just keeps compounding Had a very disciplined approach to constantly maxing out the Roth and, uh, every opportunity for, you know, when we started the company SAP now 401k, like all these things, you just watch it grow. And you're just like, wow, this is how people get ahead. It's like smart sounds, nothing fancy, just safe investments and the ability for time to do its work. Yeah. And if you're a risk taker, more like me carve out, you know, this was the advice we gave at Schwab was like carve out five or 10% for yourself, mm -hmm. give yourself the play money, but stick to it. And, uh, and you know, and if and I said, if you want to trade, do it. If you want to learn the experience on your own, kind of like a parent saying, you got to learn this for your own in the world, mm -hmm. do it and track the returns and gains. Um, see if you can do it consistently. Um, you know, unless you're Bobby Axelrod and you have some inside information or something great, but otherwise <laughs> <laughs> you're probably not going to win. The house is going to win. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you view it as like, Hey, gambling is fun, right? A lot of people enjoy it. If you view it as, Hey, I'm taking some gambles on some Bitcoin, some Dogecoin on whatever it is. Cool. Just understand that's what you're doing is gambling. You're not an investor at that point. You're somebody that's speculating on something to happen that you've almost no control over. And so, uh, yeah, I, I get worried sometimes when some of our younger team members are like, oh, I'm getting into investing on the side. Oh, yeah, what you doing? Yeah, I just bought a bunch of this new crypto. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's, um, yeah, I know it sounds sexy. It's, yeah, like you, I, it, it's like you said. It, I, <laughs> I just wanted exposure. So I did 5%. I told myself 5% or less of the entire, my entire investing universe, including real estate yeah. in either Bitcoin or Ethereum. And that's it. Like none of the other new ones, just the ones that have been around. And I'm like, I'm prepared to lose that. Yeah. Like if I lose it, I'm going to live with it. If it turns into something that doubles or triples, great. I'm not going to get rich off it either. So it's more of just to say I'm in the game and to feel like I'm participating in it in case right. it becomes the next, you know, real currency. Totally. Cool. All right. What you got next? Um, so maximizing learning. This is like, to me, something that's always been at the core of who I am. I've always enjoyed school. I've always been a great student. I stuck around college for a fifth year on my own dime just to uh, take random classes that I was very interested in. I took like a Buddhism class. I took a human sexuality class. I, uh, I just really enjoyed learning. And there's so many things I wanted to learn about. After college, I just would take a class at the community college on random things every semester. Um, I don't know. There's just been so many things in my life where maximizing learning has helped me in retrospect for like so many other things. And um, ah, this applies to everything in life, right? Like, yeah, taking all those extra classes a lot, you know, my major was computer information systems, right? So it was very business heavy, very um, computer and technology heavy. I took all these extra classes on anthropology, sociology, psychology. I think those are a lot of kind of the stuff that we've been talking about on this podcast for the last 18 episodes is like the human side. And I feel like that's, um, I don't know, it just felt important at the time. And I just went with it. I was curious about it, right? Following your curiosity, I think is so important. Um, when I bought a house, my first house five years ago, and we didn't have much storage. There was no garage. I was like, I'm going to learn how to build a shed. And this is a guy that like, couldn't really swing a hammer the right way. <laughs> like our dad was like, kind of like, eh, you got to hold the hammer a little bit further down on the, on the shaft there. And, um, I just watched all the YouTube videos and learned my way around Home Depot finally, instead of feeling like that lost guy in like the wrong place. And um, 
And now I feel way more handy. I can handle a lot of basic things in my home. I save probably a ton of money on, instead of having somebody come in, I just look and I'm like, oh, well, this wire came loose. Let me just fix that. And I just saved myself a few hundred bucks. And it took me two minutes instead of waiting to get an appointment with an electrician. And um, yeah, and so maximizing learning, you know, some of the early days of our startup, I would build something instead of buying it, partially because we were cheap, but partially because I wanted to know why it was worth maybe paying some external company hundreds of dollars a month for something that I didn't view as us needing all their complexity yet. And um, yeah, some of that stuff, eventually we kind of retired and replaced with like an external service, but sure saved us money in the early days, which helped us get to where we're at. So um, yeah, and it kind of falls in line with doing the harder thing, which it's always hard for people to learn, right? Everybody wants to outsource. Everybody wants to be like, oh, we have this problem. Let's hire somebody else. Somebody else that did the learning, did the hard path to get somewhere. And yeah, sometimes you need an expert, but I don't know. In my opinion, you know, you spend a little bit of time, you can get to a really good level of proficiency pretty quick if you're a smart dude. And most people listening, probably smart people if you're considering starting your own business. So um, yeah, I would say if you can maximize learning anything in life, it's worth the time. Yeah, your your ability you learned how to learn at an early age. I feel like at a very early age, it may even be sooner than we think. And that, that is imprinted on me. And I think it, it sets the tone for a company and, and, and who you end up hiring, because just think about this, like your ability to say, no, the answers we have, the answers or we can find them, you know, the, the, the contra point would say, oh, well, you're, you're wasting time. You got to scale now, now, now react quick, blah, 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 you know, and the, the pace of everything right now is going to make me sound old as fuck, but like the pace of everything is speeding up. It's like accelerating the rate of change and the rate and people's attention spans are getting smaller. Right. But to sit down and learn how to build a shed, you had to be extremely present. You had to take your time and you had to learn a skill. Boy, if like, if you have a company and your people don't think that way, they're always looking over the fence at like, who's going to fix this for me? Who's who can someone write this blog post? Can someone design this in Canva? Can someone uh, make this podcast? And no one's doing shit all of a sudden and everyone's outsourcing it. And so it's, it's an amazing skill to learn how to learn. Yeah. hundred percent. And you're right. I think the, it's odd because I felt like our generation, you know, we're in our upper thirties and early forties, we grew up as the internet was coming out. And so then it suddenly felt like we can teach ourselves anything. Like most of the ways I made my money in life was through skills that I taught myself off of the internet, some free tutorials or blogs or videos. And um, it's surprising that, yeah, now it's like the younger generation almost has this like outsource mentality. Like I don't want to cook my own meals. I'm going to hire some service to deliver it to my house every day. I can't even drive to pick up my own food. And, and some of it's great. Like efficiency is great. You can focus on things that you do well, a little bit better, put more time into other things. But to me, there is that danger that like nobody wants to do anything but their one thing. And um, gosh, I just, yeah, I can't, our company is a bunch of learners. Our company is a bunch of people that are like, I can do anything. I can do hard things. I'm going to take on whatever it is and learn. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a philosophical difference, man. I'm curious to see how this all plays out in the world over the next 10 years, how many specialized services are needed. You know, somebody will come tie your shoelaces for you. That's so funny. I think you really nailed that there with no one's, I don't know if I ever heard this. We can coin it like the Uber generation or the Postmates generation where everything is kind of a outsourced to the, the service, the services world. And it does lead, does it train the mindset to say, I, I outsource everything and I just do nothing. And then does that lead, you know, is that going to lead to, to really poor habits? So, yeah. This is, <laughs> we, we can lose, this is loosely connected to my next one. So we, I can yeah. just like basically piggyback on this, but early in your career, say yes to everything and learning, know if you're learning or earning, like take a job, start a company, know what you're doing, like figure out if you're there to learn, go all in on that. Like you said, learn as many skills as you can, as, as many marketable skills. If you're thinking about taking a job, figure out if it's to learn something or if it's if you're going to bail to get six figures or 200K, know you're doing that and set a time frame for people that are kind of bouncing back and forth. I know there's a lot of freelancers probably listening, um, but I think to our early employees, that's kind of a philosophy I've taken to them of like, hey, 
you're not here to earn a ton of money because like you just took an entry level job. Let's be real, right? You're not going to make a ton, but you can learn a ton. You can learn a ton. So then five years from now, you have some really marketable skills. I like that. I would, because I've often had this in my career. Like there's definitely contracts that I took of just like, dude, I just need to bank some money right now. <laughs> this is not an interesting startup. This is not an interesting project. I'm just kind of getting poured. I need to work. Yeah. And then there was stuff where I was like, ooh, I get to learn a new technology. I get to dabble in a new skill set. Somebody's giving me a chance to do it, even though I don't have a ton of experience. This is awesome. And so then you take it and then you get good at it. And then you can use that to earn even more in the next thing. Um, and I would also add to that, like the people aspect. That was one of my uh, things that it's a good segue to. It's just like being around good people, good, fun people that you learn from, that inspire you, that make you feel good. And I would say, yeah, maybe you can sacrifice that if you just really need to earn. But like, ideally, uh, it's going to have an effect on you. And if you can, if you can help it, if you can control it, be around the best possible people all the time, ruthlessly cut out the people that are energy vampires from your life, because it has net effect on everything else. It's, uh, it, it can't be understated. And um, I've been talking with some of our newer team teammates uh, in the last few weeks. And so many of them are just like, wow, you guys have created this team of amazing people that are all driven, that are all excited and energetic and just bring it every single day. And that makes me want to step up my game. And it, it becomes this like um, positive spiral up or whatever. The, there's some fun word for it. I can't remember now. <laughs> and it's, um, yeah. And the opposite's true too. If you're around people that are always complaining, do always the half-assed job. How are we just getting through today that drains you? And then you start thinking like that, and then you can't do things and you don't want to do things. And then you're just kind of locked into that boring life. And um, it's within your control. You choose how you, who you hang out with, you choose how you spend your time. You choose the jobs, the people that you're around. It's, uh, it's super important. And it takes effort to prioritize and to make time and, and, and initiate with those happy people. You know, like the, I think in Naval's book, he's like, I, I only hang around happy people. And of course there's nuances to that. Of course, you know, some people, you know, some people are like, Oh, that's tone deaf. You know, you're, you're privileged, you're rich and of all, whatever. And he's just like, Oh no, I felt this way when I was poor, when I was, you know, sleeping on a mattress in a friend's house. Yeah. Um, and I think it, what it means is people that are either constantly working on themselves and their history and their baggage. And we all have psychological things we're working through. It doesn't mean that you don't have bad days. It just means people that are maximizing the moment, being present that are doing that. That's what I want. Life's, I mean, shit, I'm almost 40, man. And like, <laughs> might be half over. Yeah. And so to me, it, it means more and more, I think at our phase of life, whereas someone in their twenties, they may think you feel like you're immortal, right? You feel like you're going to live forever, but and I'm trying to preach that more and more to our team. And even for myself, I'm like, what friends am I reaching out to, to be around? Are they the high vibe ones? The ones that give me energy and, uh, and folks starting with people. That's the thing, especially founders listening there's founders that are negative that, that may be somewhat succeeding, but still kind of always have that, like what's wrong or against them or what, you know, external factors that are holding them back as opposed to the ones that are thinking about why things are going to work out. hundred percent. So hopefully we can connect with more founders. If you're listening, let's, let's hang, let's talk, you know, yes. let's meet up whenever. I think that's, I'm always on the look for that. Cause it's, we're just at the start of our journey with finding other energetic high vibe founders that are on the come up. Yeah. Cool. Um, What's your next one? Or your uh, last one? Social media is mostly toxic. Stay off it as much as possible. Um, I, I basically rush on and off social media. I like, I do like a power run it, sprint in, grab everything I need and then sprint out. And so I, I probably spend a few minutes on Twitter a week now, whereas I used to spend an hour a night. Um, I realized it was making me less happy. So that was it. I just basically like kind of did a real test. Like I actually like time boxed it, did it for a few days, went off it for a few days. So like I got on the drug, got off the drug and then just saw how, saw what I was focused on, saw what I was thinking about. It was pulling my focus away. And so it was making me also long for relationships with people that I wasn't ready to have a relationship with like friends that I couldn't be friends with yet. And I just started thinking about how I can connect with these people started to feel negative. Um, Instagram, I jump on, jump off just to catch up on volleyball stuff. That's the point of it. Yeah. 
unfollow, doing a lot of unfollowing nowadays. So really it's, I'm much happier. I feel like I'm living in the real world. I'm actually thinking about in real life, you know, now that we can do this, hopefully with COVID (laughs) we'll see, but starting to think about in-person relationships again. And I think uh, it it might be an easier time coming out of COVID for people to to maybe put down the phone every once in a while. I love this. Yeah. I I think I was lucky in that social media wasn't a thing until I was out of college. And so it never kind of got rooted into my um, way of being, but I was super into Facebook in my twenties. I want to show off all the cool places I was traveling Mm -hmm. to. And I was trying to create that highlight real life, which is what most people do. And then you find yourself comparing to everybody else's highlight reels. And then you feel like your life is lacking. You feel <laughs> like, you know, everything needs to be improved. And that is just so toxic. I, you know, I think it's so much better to just be like, hey, what's the ideal me? How do I compare myself to that? And then how do I get to it? And that's a very real thing. And then, yeah, being with the people that are in your life in person, how many hours are spent each week sitting on a couch with your spouse, but your mind is in some social media thing and you're not connecting with the person that probably has the most influence in your day-to-day life. Like what a, what a thing. And Especially gosh, for founders I- too, man. It, it's so, you know, cause we're all looking at the next rung up the ladder. Right. And it's like, I'm sure that's why I want to talk to people that are even, you know, at levels behind us or whatever quote air quotes. Um, because I, you know, I look up at like a, I don't know, convert kit. We mentioned them a lot and it's just like, oh man, we got to get to where they're at in revenue. And it makes you almost feel like you're not succeeding yet until you get there, as opposed to just saying, let's compare to us and have, and be grateful for the revenue we're at because it's freaking amazing and it's rare. And let's also redefine success. To me, a lot of it is how do people think about things? How interesting are they? What things are they doing? Some of my favorite people don't make a lot of money. Some of my favorite people are just really cool to hang out with and the conversations feel like it gets deep and authentic really quickly. And there's a lot of people that are making far, far more money than we are that I just don't respect. I don't want to hang out with. And I don't like. And so to me, success has nothing to do with all that. It's cool to trade tactics. It's cool to trade strategies. It's cool to connect with people that are doing the same things that we are. I want that. But yeah, it, you know, trying to, um, yeah, the comparison game. Oh, it's just terrible. And I would even take this a step further. Like consumption in general, I think is just kind of, um, or the whole world is vying for you to consume what they're selling. And that includes, you know, books, TV, podcasts, like products, all of it. And yeah, there's a lot of things that are really cool. Don't get me wrong. Like I'll, I'll watch every single thing Marvel puts out. I'll read, you know, so much sci-fi and I, and, but I very much time box it. Right. I try and watch one hour of TV a week. I try and listen to one podcast a week and I try and read one book a month, everything else. I want to focus on production. So like our business back in the day, it was just like creating things. You know, I, I created iPhone games for a while. I was, I was trying to, I was trying to write. I was trying to take photographs and put that out there into the world. Like how can you produce more than you consume? I think should be the question for anybody that wants to build anything of value. Cause if you spend so much time consuming that that's time that you could have been building something. And so, yeah, I mean, I get it. A lot of people are into watching sports or get into TV shows and then suddenly they're on season 12 and there's a lot of great stuff out there. We're living in a golden age of production. In my mind, that's like, that's retirement. I'm going to catch up on all the shit I missed the last 10 years in retirement and be like, guys, I heard that this show lost is amazing. I'm just <laughs> people are like, I vaguely remember that. Um, so I know that's kind of controversial. That's What's what many that? retirements are for in between businesses, you know, like, I feel yeah. like, you know, that's the, the path I want to take is like do a business for, you know, three to eight years, either step away from it, start another one or join another one. And, you know, but have a mini retirement in between that. And that would be, yeah. That would be a fun time to do that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, to the extent your body allows, I feel like anytime I watch sports, I just want to play that sport, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so in my mind, I'll watch sports, maybe get just hyped up and then I'll go and play something. But like so many people I know can lose a lot of time into watching sports. <laughs> and um, man, I don't know. What's your take on that? Because you grew up kind of watching everything and and now you've kind of shifted a little. What's what's your take? Uh, that it was that I wish I didn't spend so much time watching uh, that it was, it was what I identified with. Cause I played basketball at a high level, played in college, play, you know, had a chance to play pro overseas. So it was, it was my full identity. So then I think I was watching 
part for entertainment, part to learn and part to like get better at the, at the game. And it bonded, I bonded with friends, went to games, things like that. So there's a friendship element, which I appreciated, but like God laying on the couch watching for three hours, like Jesus Christ, like there's no way my body in my thirties could handle that. So I naturally stopped doing it when I realized like just being sedentary for, you know, some of these guys watch six hours of football a day. And I'm like, what could you accomplish on a Sunday? You know, how much, like think of the businesses you could start, the people you could influence the way your life could change. So yeah, I'm, I'm all pretty much out on watching sports. I watch volleyball now because I play and that's kind of my new junk food in terms of like what I'll do in off time or I'll like pay to go to an event because it's very relatable to me and it's, and there's a social element to it. Yeah. The social element's super interesting. Cause you're right. Like sometimes I feel socially out of place when people like throw out these names that everybody just seems to know. And I'm like, wait, who's that? And he's like, oh, it's like the best quarterback alive or the best yeah. ever walk the earth. I'm like, cool. I can't participate in this conversation. Right. And so there's definitely some social alienation, but I guess, yeah, it depends on your needs, right? Evaluate your friendship circles. Cause yeah, if we start talking like some sci-fi series, you know, me and some of the developers and certain people are just like, I'm out. <laughs> so, <laughs> we all have our things, right? Yeah, exactly. So let move on. This is one of my last ones. Um, and it's booking a few trips a year, no matter how small, whether it's one night, you know, small Airbnb outside of the city, that's a hundred bucks for a night all the way up into like, go to the beach, but book it because I've been a believer over the years of having something out in the future kind of just always gives you that anticipation. It always gives you it, it it's like a constant reminder that you're taking care of yourself and you get the benefits of it from now until like April next year. So like, I just put a friend's yeah. wedding on the calendar for April next year. I'm probably gonna be excited about it every couple of days for like nine months. And right. so, um, and, and so I'm a believer of that with family. Um, and then also carving out trips with friends or like guys trips, because I have a few friends that one friend, he has a, a, a son that's five and a daughter that's two. And this guy, he, he gets more leeway, I think, than most uh, men or women. But he, you know, he does like four guys trips a year. And uh, I was like, holy shit, like, all right, good for you. Um, but I think that time away feels beneficial to the relationship. I've thought a lot about how I feel when I get back from something else about Allie, about our relationship. Obviously with young kids, you got to, you know, carefully coordinate this and it's got to be money in the bank and a trade-off between you and your spouse. But, but man, like the depth, I think of like a weekend away with guys can replace maybe months of hanging out once every week. So like, I think of things in terms of depth of relationship and a shared experience is deep going to the beach together, going to Seattle, going to Austin, wherever. Yeah. And so, um, we get that in a way, like sometimes our work trips are really cool and we've bonded with even teammates and each other and gotten to have these shared experiences. Like that Austin trip was like amazing. Yeah. You know, that like checked all the boxes for me. That was great. Totally. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that, I think uh, it's easy to just not do right. It's easy for a year to fly by. And then you're like, shit, I just kind of been doing the same thing. And why am I uninspired? Maybe I need to shake things up. hundred percent. I love this. I know I need to do it better. We're, my wife and I are notoriously bad planners. We just do like these impromptu trips and book it like a week before. And then I get to miss out on all that joy and anticipation that you talked about. <laughs> yeah. I need to just plan ahead in life and uh, get some of that joy. And you're right. Every time we come back from it, like coming back from Austin, man, batteries are at like 200%. We just were ready to take on the world and uh, we need to, yeah, I, we're going to start doing team retreats as soon as, you know, we're kind of waiting for you know, everybody's kids to get vaccinated. Cause that's a concern for many people. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, once that happens, it feels like, okay, we can really start to do a lot more things. And uh, the, the stuff that comes out of that is just phenomenal. Like you said, what parts of that Austin trip do you think helped recharge the battery? Cause I have a few things in mind that I think are specific themes to focus on like on yeah. these trips. Yeah. So like you said, the deepening of relationships with I mean, you and I got to hang out some quality, just one-on-one -on -one time. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And then with some of our teammates that um, we brought along, I just remember going kayaking in the river or um, yeah, it was kayaking. Yeah. In the river and 
you know, we just got to connect trying to, and doing something physical, like that there's always a greater level of connection. Like some of my best friends are through the volleyball world because you just sweat and you win and you lose and you, you know, get hurt together and you overcome. And so there's something to that. Um, and like sharing meals and just, you know, having a few drinks together, you get drunk with somebody, there's a different level. I, you know, me and a teammate like kind of cried together on the uh, front patio, yeah. random bar on some party street, you know, just talking about like kind of what the business has meant to each other and the team we're building and the opportunities that she feels like she's getting. And it was this beautiful moment. So that was a highlight. And then the conference itself, of course, just like the high vibe, the energy, the everybody was there to like grow and build. And that mentality is so important to be around. How about for you? Yeah, it was, it was, I thought about it as a shared spontaneous experience. And it was like, we, we all kind of collectively decided to do something spontaneous bonus points. Cause it was a physical activity, the kayaking, and then just like deciding on the spot to go somewhere. So it's like this, this, like, we're all going on this mini journey together. No one planned going to that particular restaurant or bar. No one knew, you know, what we were going to drink. It just, that feels like mini adventures together. And I think when you do that, that is like a 100% unique experience, which bonds people, you know? And so I think like that is like, that's what the new adventure journey is. If you can't just go to Europe and live for two months, you know what I mean? Like you find moments like that and we packed it all into like three or four days. And so it's like, how do you recreate that a couple of times a year? And I think that's, that's winning. That's like, that's, that's enjoying a good life to me. Yeah. Oh, I love how you talked about like the spontaneity aspect. Cause that I, maybe that's why I don't plan is because I get more joy when things just spontaneously arise. <laughs> um, seems like the world's against me here. Good Airbnbs are booked out like a year in advance. Especially now. Yeah. Especially yeah. as things open up. <laughs> it's harder and harder. Right? I got to figure this out. Yeah. All right. My last um, kind of life philosophy. I view everything that I'm doing as just practice for the next thing. And so this, you know, it takes the pressure off this company. Hey, we're just practicing for that next amazing company that we build. We're learning the lessons. It makes your focus be more on lessons instead of outcomes, which takes the pressure off. Mm. And so, man, like anytime I'm playing volleyball, even if it's like, you know, this high pressure tournament, I'm like, Hey, I'm just getting better for the next one. You know, whatever happens here, I'm like trying to internalize lessons, trying to get a little better, make, you know, just little adjustments to my game that can make me a better player in a year even. And, um, you know, all the random shit I did in my twenties, I was just like, Hey, I'm just accumulating skills for like whatever comes next in life. And, um, I just think it's a fun mentality to have. I don't know. I, I don't know where this came from or if I made it up or found it somewhere. I can't even remember. I just always have kind of had this in my head, like, Hey, it's all practice your lifetime of learning. Like you said, lessons, lessons over outcomes. That's, that's a beautiful phrase right there. Like that could be on a poster. <laughs> um, I only have one more and it just, you know, hits home with us with dad, you know, having a, a health scare is just like scheduling schedule recurring time, or at least like putting on your calendar to reach out to your parents. Um, because anyone that's in this age bracket of 20 to, you know, 40 or 50, we just don't know how much longer they have, especially with like the COVID stuff. Obviously it's, it's obvious the impact of that. So taking the time to answer the call, to return the call, the text, communicate in the way that they, they want. Um, you know, that's something I had to kind of learn and adjust to where I'm just like, Oh dad, just text me. And he never yeah. texts me. He always yeah. calls. And so it's like, yeah, finding that time, spending the time, at least telling them you love them, you know, and having that conversation. If you're physically, if you're not geographically near them, um, because man, for anyone that's like privileged enough to be in situations to start a company and have some success, it's like some of that had probably came from your parents. They probably taught you something that led you to, to be the way you are. And so it's just paying that, paying that for, or paying that homage. Oh, dude. Yeah. Like I, I told mom and dad when they came over last weekend, it's like, y'all give me the genetics and the upbringing to enable all this stuff that came after, like my ability to work hard, my ability to learn surely was rooted in genetics and upbringing. Mostly may, I, I don't even know what percentage I can claim is like choice. Cause you know, then you get into free will discussions. What is choice? Like I make the choices I do because of how y'all raise me. And so, right. Yeah. So it's, oh, that can't be overstated. Uh, Man, let's extend that. 
you know, your spouse, the friends in your life that support you and help you through things, like, let them know life can be short. Shit can happen. Don't have those regrets that you never got to tell people like how much they impact and help you in life. And, uh, just makes people feel good. Yeah. You, you don't, you, you don't have to be good with words to do it. I think it's almost this thing where you like kind of force your body forward to just say things that sound awkward, but make people feel good. Don't hold back on that. You know, especially after coming out a few years we've had just in general with the climate, it's like, I just, I try to tell like, uh, you know, the checkout person at sprouts, something genuine, you know, or the person on the phone at gusto, I just talked to where I was yeah. just like genuinely trying to just make them even smirk or smile a little bit. And that makes right. me feel better. So it's part selfish, but it's also just good, good for the world. In this transactional world, man, how can we still see everybody else as human beings? Mm. How can we acknowledge their, who they are, see them. That to me, that's like always a goal. Every, I want to know every service person's name, ask them something personal, share something authentic with them. It's hard, but it, I think it's, Gosh, I think us kind of keeping this whole civilization thing together kind of depends on it. <laughs> it's putting positive energy in the world, just bit by bit, a little, a unit of good energy gets kind of shot out. You know, I think of it like a video game where it's like this little like pixel that just comes out of you. That's good energy, <laughs> but it's out there instead of taking it, you know? Oh yeah. Well, this got deep. Cool. Good. good shit. It's like one of my favorite episodes. I think. <laughs> good. This is your idea. Good, good idea to do it. Um, let us know what you think about it. All right. Thanks, y'all. See you next time.